It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Everybody, welcome to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. And again, I'm Casey. We've got Kevin Corhorn. We've got Mike. We've got Josh from Corhorn Financial Group. Uh, again, the website, if you want to submit a question, learn more about us, you can go to wisemoneyradio.com. Any financial uh, advice question that you, you would uh, have, any financial planning question you would have, wisemoneyradio.com is where you would submit it. So, uh, guys, what's up, man? How are you? We're doing Great. good. Doing pretty good? Absolutely. So we've got a, a pretty pretty tenuous situation happening in politics right now. We're ramping up to the election. We've already had a debate. We've got another debate coming. Candidates are starting to rise. Candidates are starting to fall. And now everybody is, of course, starting to decide what's going to be their go-to issue. And it looks like the economy is still right up there. And with you know political campaigns and, and all of this, uh, the, the election being center stage on the local level, of course, the national level. And you know what's, what's your guys' take on how relevant all of the political attention is and what some of the candidates are saying with our individual finances. Well, Casey, that's a great question. And when you look at the political season right now, it's very interesting. As you said, uh, certain politicians are rising and falling in the polls and certain issues are coming to the forefront that we thought maybe wouldn't have been issues in this campaign that are. And so sometimes it is tempting to get really mentally checked in to politics and uh, in doing so i might check out of what i have control over personally so when i look at this i say what should we be spending our time during this political season and you say hey i want to be a student of the game i want to pay attention what things do i have control over and what things should i do what we are trying to do today is help you have an idea of what things can I take action on instead of just listening and watching a reality TV show uh, play itself out in politics. What can I do? And really, how does the political landscape affect me personally? Yeah. I mean, politics, of course, gets a lot of attention and all of that. But really, if you actually look across the country, there's very few topics that carry more emotion with people than money. And politics. Maybe you throw religion in there and you've got a, a trio that, you know, breaks up families all the time. Mm-hmm. But so but what should you be focused on? You know, and, and how do you split through some of the distraction and and focus on well what do I do with this information? Yeah, you know, a lot of the the topics that are hit on the campaign trail have to do with direction of the country and just policies on social issues and whatnot. But If you're going to boil it down to maybe a handful of items that affect you and me personally, I would be looking at the tax code. You know, obviously every election that gets all kinds of attention because every new administration, every new group of congressmen and women, they have the ability to, with the the swipe of a pen, set laws in place that are creating either incentives or disincentives in our financial lives. They're either taking money out of your pocket or leaving it there for something better. It seems like uh, the tax code this time around seems to be much more a factor, at least early on in, in this election cycle, than it has been in previous. It's always It always comes up. Sure. Uh, but yeah. it seems like we've had more and more candidates submit an alternative or a major change to the United States tax code this time around than we have seen in the past. And I think that's what the American people want to hear. They feel like the tax code is broken. It's inherently unfair in some direction, some way. And so anyone who comes to the forefront and starts talking about, hey, I'm going to fix all that, they're going to get attention. So, And it's because that is a, an absolutely direct 
uh, impact on your personal financial life. And I think people are in tune with that. Uh, you know, another one might be uh, some of the, the the social programs that are out there, the entitlement programs, uh, as most people refer to them. I'm talking about Social Security, Medicare, even the Affordable Care Act. These are these are topics that, with changes to uh, the the code or or the laws, they can have sweeping impact on existing retirees, or it can have an impact on the younger younger folks out there. Um, you know, decisions that our politicians are making right now are going to have a direct impact on younger generations' retirement because Social Security is either going to be fixed or it's going to be, uh, you know, allowed to continue to, to flounder. And there's obviously a ton of controversy over that right sure. now. Sure. Right. Well, then you have, you know, you have your, okay, so you got the tax code, which affects people's income taxes, their property taxes, all this other stuff, their write-offs and everything. Uh, even death tax. I mean, we just we can go through it. I said the thing is the massive monstrosity right now. Most people agree on that. They just disagree on how it should be fixed. Sure. So you got the tax code, then you got social programs where that money comes out of your paycheck, uh, or you might be on social programs, and so you might be getting more benefits or less benefits, which is going to affect your livelihood. All of that is going to affect your cash flow, exactly. what you're going to be taking home. And, and I think that a lot of people, when we get into political season, I seem to run into this a lot. There's a lot of people who, they, they advocate based on buzzwords, but very few of them actually have a grasp of their finances to be able to intelligently argue for or against a candidate and their policies. Seems to be very emotional. Do you find that the more informed your clients are at Corhorn Financial Group, that they tend to have a better understanding of the political landscape when it comes to monetary policy? Well, we think we we have clients across the spectrum when you look at the political landscape. And the most important thing when they come to Corhorn Financial Group seeking financial wisdom is that they they have clarity about their own personal situation and confidence. And confidence is that I, I've, I'm clear about what my financial goals are. I've got the confidence that I can reach them. And, and one of the things that folks want to talk about on occasion are, what are what are the risks? What are the, the obstacles to me reaching my financial goals? And you say, well, politics that doesn't really uh, have a an impact, but it absolutely does. It it absolutely does. When Hurricane Katrina uh, was going on, all of the temporary housing units that were built in Elkhart and shipped down there uh, that had a huge impact on us. And that you know those these are political things when the when the BP spill happened in the Gulf, we, there there were machine shops in our backyard that were building deep water drilling equipment that stopped, ceased and desist. They had to pick something else to do because that was no longer happening. So certainly when you think about obstacles, the, th- the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of obstacles, I think of regulations. Um, but certainly uh, the, the, these impacts at a, at a high level come down and touch us here. And when you talk about cash flow too, guys, uh, I mean, cash flow affects how much money you have coming in. And so that affects how much money you can put into savings, how much money you can invest in your retirement, how much money you can invest to try and grow your portfolio. So should we also be, and we hear about Wall Street all the time, you know, every that's everybody's boogeyman in, in politics. But, you know, should we also be talking about investments more on a personal level rather than giant corporations and stockbrokers and things like that? Should we also be talking about a personal investment scenario here? Yeah, you know, we're, we're, 
we're getting that question a lot right now. Hey, election's coming up. What should I do? And most people are asking that question as it relates to, should I make some shifts in my investment portfolio to capitalize on this or to protect myself from a big downfall? And uh, I get it. You know, the, the, the attention that the political campaigns and the election cycle, uh, you know, gets, it's pretty natural to think, well, should I do something? They're so natural, in fact, that there has been a huge, just tremendous study on this, uh, on, on how the political cycle works and who's in office and what political party's in office and what year they're in office and how that impacts the stock return. Uh, officially, that's called the presidential election theory. And there's just a ton of data. Most finance people are nerds, so they just love to look at the data. So some of it controversial. So Casey, let me ask you, how... How does the stock market typically perform when a Republican is in office versus a Democrat? Do you know? I, I, I honestly have no idea. I think um, I think you'd want to initially say that maybe it goes <laughs> up, but it probably goes down. Well, so so actually, they both go up. Okay, okay. but as far as when which party's in office. Which, uh, you know, does the stock market go up more for a Republican or a Democrat? It's actually a landslide. When a Democrat's in office, the stock market's average annual return is triple that of when a Republican's in office. And that you hit on something that most people think when they ask the question about, should I change things in my investments? They think it's a zero-sum game. That if during this times I win, it's these other times I lose. It's not. The stock market typically goes up. So you're actually, it's a good investment, whether a Democrat's in office or a Republican. But history, the data shows that when a Democrat's in office, the stock market does a lot better. The question is, is that related? I would argue, we would argue no. We would argue that that's not the case. This is just purely some data that seems to suggest a correlation that's not really there. Take Bill Clinton, for example. Mm -hmm. When he was in office that entire time period, the stock market was up over 200%. Was that because of those politics or anything Bill Clinton did? Or did it actually have to do with the internet bubble yeah, yeah, the and the internet, internet boom, boom that happened at that time sure so this data is confusing and then you have the artificial you know adding of money and things like that into the market to prop them up during negative economic times it could also factor into this there's a lot of things that i think you just look at the raw data without looking at everything could probably be very confusing or left out but here we are you know every time we come around to another presidential cycle there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on uh you know some would say look at the amazing growth that's happened under my administration mm -hmm. or look how terrible things have been under that prior administration. So we're, we're kind of taught to believe that the president or whoever is right. in power, they're the ones who drew, drove all those results, right? So, so we spend a lot of time worrying about are the politics that are on the horizon going to have an impact on our investments? I say maybe. Um, you know, I think it depends on the timeline. Mike hit on this that, uh, you know, regardless of who is in office, you look back on the history of the stock market, for example, and with interruptions uh, taken into account, the trajectory is clear. You know, it is a gradual, slow, steady climb, uh, but in the short term, it's extremely volatile. And politics can drive a lot of that short-term volatility. An example of that, if we go back to 2011, that was the last time that we saw some fairly extreme amounts of volatility in the market. If you look at the 
the middle half of the year or so. From peak to valley, the stock market fell 19%. We were 1% away from hitting a bear market. And um, it, it, the, the things that were driving that were almost exclusively political. You had Greece, mm-hmm. sound familiar? You know, that was a time when... Something just it, happened with them again, too. Yeah, <laughs> funny how they keep uh, Thank coming you, around. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that was a time when every six months they were needing another bailout, and it spooked the markets each time that they were asking, because everyone would start asking... Uh, you know, is the European Union going to get pulled apart? You also had the Federal Reserve. They stopped the printing presses there in 2011. Uh, That marked a change in their policy on interest rates and just the money supply. And then the big one was the debt ceiling debate. Mm -hmm. That was the one that everybody was glued to their TV over. Um, You know, we had maxed out the credit card as a nation, and you had... Congress and and the White House butting heads over whether or not we should be allowed to raise the debt ceiling again. Should we continue to give the government a blank check and say, hey, keep on spending, go ahead and keep on borrowing, you're fine. And, you know, there were a a lot of politicians that were trying to draw a hard line then. And what it resulted in was fear over, are are we going to actually default on our debt? And that spooked the markets as well. So, the, the, the markets, investors as a whole, they are absolutely watching Washington, D.C. to see what these folks are going to do next because they do have the potential to, uh, you know, s- set up some hurdles for us as a nation or tear down some hurdles all by their policy decisions. All right. And we got a lot to cover today on, on politics and involving with, with uh, your personal finances. And, of course, we want to remind everybody that if you go to wisemoneyradio.com, any financial planning question that you have, and we'll get some questions from uh, some listeners here a little bit later on in the program today, you can submit any financial planning question that you have, and they will go ahead and they'll answer it on a future program and probably do some blog stuff and things like that, too, as time goes on. We get all that set up. So, again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. want to remind everybody, if you have a financial planning question, you can submit your question by going to wisemoneyradio.com. And again, Kevin, Mike, Josh from Corhorn Financial Group are joining me here. And uh, Josh, you were just talking about the, the debt ceiling debate that we had. And we had that a couple of different times. And shutdowns and threats of shutdowns and they just keep kicking it down down the road and it hasn't actually been solved uh permanently yet so how important is the debt because on this side you've got people going this is the end of the world uh china japan all of them can call it in we've got china's currency being uh devalued right now and of course you have this huge massive tragedy uh in the the explosion there but then you have other people going it's no big deal it's we've always had the debt it's it's, yeah it's growing up but you know whatever we we can handle this so which one's really right you know i i think the reason that people get so fired up about this topic and demand that they're right in their view many americans see the incongruency between how washington dc operates in the area of budgeting or using debt versus what you and i can get away with in our life and, you know, if, if Washington, D.C. is borrowing money at an astounding rate right now, in fact, if you look at the budgets that are being proposed for 2016, which, by the way, begins October 1st because their fiscal year runs on a different, uh, you know, different than the calendar year, 
2016's budget is going to come in somewhere around $4 trillion. The problem with that is it's about a half a trillion dollars more than what is expected to come in in tax revenues. So we are borrowing at a rate of about a half a trillion dollars per year. And unfortunately, there is no end in sight. You know, these, these budget forecasts, I've um, unfortunately spent too much time <laughs> on government web, websites reading this stuff, and it just makes my blood boil. But um, y- you look at the forecasts that go out decades, and there are no years out there in the future based on these budgets that are being proposed where there's an intention of not borrowing money. It's just how much are we going to borrow. In fact, that's a, that's a lot of the patting themselves on the back that goes on in Washington, D.C. right now is look at all the things that we've done to reduce the deficit in this country. Yeah. And most <laughs> Americans, they hear reduce deficit. Oh, our debt is going down. Mm-hmm. No, the pace at which it's growing may have slowed a little bit. But the fact that it is still growing rapidly is, uh, is maybe something that most Americans don't give enough thought to. You know, and this is something, too, because you always have the politicians out there. Not only are they saying we've reduced the deficit, we've balanced the budget. Yeah. My, my budget balances the budget, and you look at it and you go, but it's $500 billion more than we're expected to take in. How's that balance? Like, right. how's, oh, it'll be balanced like in 2082. And, exactly. And, and this is the imbalance between the general public and what happens in Washington, D.C. It's completely unsustainable. If you try to apply what's happening in Washington, D.C. to your own personal financial life, you would have been bankrupt years ago. It's just not sustainable. You try to apply it to a business. We just operate on different foundational principles. And that just has a lot of the American people fired up. So as a nation, I think if anybody has the basics of budgeting down that, okay, I'm not supposed to spend more than I take in. If I do, I use credit or a loan or something like that. But you know, I, my payment can't be, again, more than I'm being paid. Otherwise, I'll be bankrupt. But when you look at it as far as a, a national policy and stuff, like how does that affect the individual who's listening right now whose ears are probably smoking and they're furious about about politicians lying to them about the deficit and everything else and the debt and all that. But you know, how, does, how does all of that affect them and their finances? Well, I think it affects younger generations more than older because someone is going to have to pay this back, right? Uh, unless as a nation we just decide, oh, we're going to default on our debt and literally declare bankruptcy to our creditors. As long as our creditors keep on extending more debt to us, based on current trajectory, we're just going to keep on accepting it. And I I think it's an important principle to build into your own personal life that just because you can borrow doesn't mean you should borrow. Oh, absolutely. You know, just because you can borrow 150 grand to get a psychology undergraduate degree from a private school doesn't mean that's a good idea, right? It's not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) trust me, it's not a good idea. You know, this is one of the reasons why we got into trouble with the housing market because, you know, we we had banks that were saying, yes, you may borrow this amount of money, but that doesn't mean that we all should have as a nation. So our our political leaders right now are, uh, you know, they're they're borrowing and um, doing it out of necessity because they didn't begin the budgeting process with that basic premise that you just hit, Casey, that I'm not going to spend more than I bring in. That has to be the lesson that especially younger generations have to build into their own financial life because someday they may be called upon to pay this debt back. So what kind of lessons, Kevin, that you guys at Corhorn might be talking with uh, your clients that are coming in there? I mean, what kind of a lesson 
would you just want to sit a politician down, duct tape them to the chair, and just beat into them? Uh, basics of like, when you go back to Washington, like seriously, you cannot do this anymore. What would you tell them? Just uh, if they, if if the United States government were an individual and coming into Corhorn Financial Group and asking for advice based on this situation, what advice would you give? I would tell them to be very clear about what their guiding principles are as they approach their finances. So in the same way we work with people personally on their personal finances, I would say in the government, it has to operate the same way. You can't spend more than you take in, period, ever. And we we sit every year and wonder, okay, this is how it works in my personal life. When is it going to work this way in Washington? Because for the most part, most of the states have to operate according to those principles as well, because the states can't print money. Right. It's, it's only right. the federal government yep. that can print money, which is creating this in- incredible imbalance. So we, when we talk with our own clients, we start with a, a simple idea. Do you have enough money? No, I don't. Well, what then the, we've got a problem. What do you think the problem is? Is it an income problem or is it an expense problem? And really, and, and part of the, the goal of this show as well is to motivate people to take action because you say, well, what can I do about it? What can I do? I voted for this representative and I trusted that if, if they could balance a budget in Indianapolis, they could do something in Washington and I haven't heard a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so what's going on? And we say, well, there's th- two things. Number one is vote and that's, that's your civic duty as well. But number two, take great control over your own personal financial house so that when the problem comes and it might be coming, you might be able to listen to the radio uh, today and hear some gloom and doom type stuff and telling people, hey, you know, uh, after, after, you've, after you've bought gold, after you've put 10 years worth of food <laughs> in your basement, you've, you've got your Simply Safe security system and a, and a few other things, including, uh, you know, your identity theft protection. What should you do? And what we tell people is focus on the things that you have control over. Yeah, and and you know, apply the 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 your frustration that you have in Washington D.C. Apply that inward. You know, negative just spewing outward that actually doesn't get you anywhere. So if you're frustrated with how things are going with either debt or or the promises that are going unkept financially at Washington in Washington D.C., apply that to your own life and say, okay, I'm going to make a good financial decision in my own life. I'm going to work a little bit harder build a debt payment plan to get out of debt myself, or I'm going to start tracking my budget. I'm going to build a budget and start tracking it to make sure I'm not overspending as well. I think we also have to, you know, do exactly what you said, Casey, and that is sit a politician down and appeal to them individually and, and ask them if what's going on in Washington, D.C. was happening in your own life, what would be the wise response? You know, right now in the federal budget, of the $3.7 trillion that will be spent this year, about $230 billion is just the interest on our debt. And we're borrowing close to half a trillion. So essentially, we're, half of what we're borrowing every single year is just to pay the interest on our existing debt. It would be similar to that politician that we're sitting down, us saying to them, listen, your credit cards have gotten so high that you're having to use another credit card to pay the minimum payments on that debt. If that's the case that they're, that they're facing, if that's the situation that they're in, we would 
you know, beg and plead with them to take drastic action, not to stick your head in the sand and keep doing more of the same, but start making meaningful changes. But they may say, but I can do it. I can do it right now. I still have the credit card offers coming in in the mail. I can still <laughs> open five of them a day. Yeah. The great irony, I think, is that the federal government's not real happy with payday lenders, and they operate as if they were a payday <laughs> lender and lending money to themselves. But uh, record revenues coming into Washington, D.C. Uh, this past year, and we still have a pretty big debt problem that continues to grow. So it would suggest that it seems to be a spending problem and not a revenue problem. we got a lot to get to. You bet. Um, and we have you know how to make uh, money last in your retirement. We've got questions from people. And, of course, if you have a financial planning question that you would like to ask the guys over at Quorum Financial Group, go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit the question there on the website, and we'll be able to get to it in, in a future show and, and be able to answer that question and maybe even some online stuff, maybe blog posts and things like that. And, of course, you're listening to Wise Money with Quorum Financial Group. Again, Kevin, Mike, Josh, I'm Casey. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money Radio and uh, Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. WiseMoneyRadio.com is the website to submit your financial planning questions if you'd like to do so. We'll get to some questions here in uh, just a couple of minutes, but you know, we spent a lot of time talking about budgeting and politics and everything else. And during the break, we were just talking about it. And we think next week on, on Wise Money, we're just going to do a show about budgeting. And kind of help you out with budgeting because that's always one of the questions that people have, right? Is like, I you know I don't have enough money to save. I don't have enough money to do this. And then you start getting into the nitty gritty, and you you figure out they've been spending five hundred eighty dollars on on mocha lattes and things like that. And you're like, yeah, I think you might have. <laughs> that's it. You might have some wiggle room there. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's only it. Two mocha lattes. <laughs> They're so frugal. There, there you go. So we'll do an entire budgeting show next week. I think that's what we're planning on doing. So, uh, but we have a lot of questions and. I've got Eric in Granger. He says, uh, you know, I, I am two or three years from my preferred retirement age when I hope to sell my manufacturing business and help finish funding my, quote, golden years is what he wants to do. So he wants to sell his business, wants to fund his golden years. When should I begin entertaining buyers or exploring my options? And who should I be talking to about building a plan? Uh, I'd say now. You know, if you're two to three years out from retirement, it may take that long to find the right buyer. Uh, you know, depending on who that buyer is, uh, they're going to want to have the right key employees in place, and they may need to be trained up or or prepared for the transition. That's an excellent point. You know, it, well, and sometimes the the buyer insists upon the the seller staying on to to serve as a consultant or a guide during the transition for some period of time as well. So if you want to be done working in two to three years and maybe uh, at least one of those years is spent serving as an employee or a consultant to the the new owner of the company, boy, two to three years is not too soon to get started in my opinion. No, not at all. And one of the professionals that we would encourage Eric to talk to is his CPA, because really when you look at that and maximizing the value for your business, you want to make sure with your accountant that the way that you've structured your books financially is um, positions you to maximize the value of the business. And a lot of times what we find in working with business owners, that there are certain ways that they might want to operate and run things while they're working, but as they move toward retirement, there are some things that they want to 
clean up so it's not uh, a big story of, well, this would be the value, but there's this add back and this takeaway and all these other things. And it actually uh, can get kind of confusing and muddy the waters when you sit down to do some sort of bargaining. Yeah. And I, let me just add in here, I, what we would suggest for small businesses, small business owners is begin that process of transitioning five years before you want to be done. Five years before, uh, two or three years, you're cutting it close, five years. And then also begin assembling your financial team. Get a CPA with a financial advisor with an attorney who have a collaborative spirit and who can work together to help serve you. There's one more key uh, team player if you're getting ready to sell a business, and that's someone who can run a business valuation. Oh, absolutely. You know, selling selling a business is not that different than selling a house. You need to know what the thing is worth. Otherwise, you may be giving it away. Um, you may be asking more than you really should, and you're never going to sell the thing in the time frame that that you've uh, set for yourself. So there are CPAs out there that specialize in this area. And uh, spending the money to get a, an objective business valuation is probably one of the first steps. And some of the things that I've seen in the past, too, um, like what Kevin was talking about with the assets, and, and you might have to take away some or add some. And one of the things that I've noticed is that somebody has a fully functional operation, and they think they're humming along, they're doing good, they're, they're bringing in pretty good money, their books are good, but the technology they're using is being phased out. And so yeah. when somebody comes in to buy the company, they're like, see, it's a full full operation. Everything's going, yeah, but I have to replace $80,000 in equipment because it's going to be obsolete in 18 months. And so you don't get credit for any of that. That's now going back to me, and we're going to have to add that as a loss. So your value now goes down. Absolutely. I've seen that happen a couple of times, too. Absolutely. Yeah, or my patents all expire in two years. Patents might right. expire, too. It's also a very good question. Uh, we got a lot more questions to get to, uh, and we're trying to get back on time. We went a little bit long in the, the last segment uh, talking about the debt and everything else. So we'll be back with more questions. And again, if you have any questions for Wise Money, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit your financial planning questions or any of your financial questions there. And uh, the guys from Core Financial Group will address it on Wise Money in a future show, maybe online as well. we got more coming up. You're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Again, uh, we got Kevin, Mike, and Josh here. I'm Casey. And if you have any questions on financial planning, please go to wisemoneyradio.com. Submit your questions there. We just answered a question from Eric and Granger, who's uh, looking at getting his business set up to to actually sell so he can retire and fund his golden years. And it looks like he's a couple of years behind, but we went over that. We also have Dwight, who is in Elkhart. He's 61 years old, and he has a two-part question for you guys. If I am planning to retire at the end of 2016, should I move all of my Indiana teacher's retirement annuity into the fixed account so I won't lose anything before I retire? And should I combine my annuity and pension so I have a bigger payout? Let me just set the stage for those that maybe don't know too much about this, but uh, folks that are teachers in in Indiana here, there's actually two parts to their retirement. There is the annuity savings account, and you get a statement on that every quarter. That's your investment balance that is being contributed for you, and you see that rise. But then there's also the second part, which is your pension. And Dwight's question here is, should I combine the two, which is one of the choices, when I retire and have a higher pension, or should I keep them separate, meaning draw my pension, but roll my annuity savings account over into an IRA? 
You know, the first question that he asked, though, about should I get real conservative right on the eve of retirement? There, there's a, a mentality out there that says, boy, I'm going to invest for growth while I'm working, but when I get close to retirement, I can't afford to lose anything. I won't have time to bounce back before I step into retirement. So I'm going to take all the risk off the table. And, you know, this is possibly one of the biggest mistakes that people make leading into retirement, because if you get too conservative and you give up all hope for growth in retirement, you're dooming yourself to slowly become poor, to safely become poor, right? You know, no fluctuations, no growth, and you're slowly going to see your spending power be eroded over time because life just keeps getting more expensive. Inflation is a very real monster, and it's a silent one that will sneak up on you over time. So, Getting too conservative at the at the edge of retirement, I think, would be a mistake. Yeah, and I think this is a great question when you look at financial planning. Again, there are six areas of financial planning. My present financial position, protection planning, tax planning, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And when you look at this question, baked into this question, this deals with almost every area yep. of financial planning. So if you make any of these decisions in a vacuum, it's quite possible that you've either ignored another area of your financial life or you've actually done some damage to yourself financially. Yeah. And so, Dwight, to answer your second question, I would, I would go back to what Kevin said. It really depends on your overall financial plan. However, most times you should not combine your annuity with your pension uh, because of, well, what happens if you pass away the first month of your retirement? Who gets those dollars? You may have set it up where your pension goes to your spouse, but what happens if both of you pass away? That annuity savings account, if it's wrapped up with your pension, that's gone. And so nine times out of 10, people like to separate, to keep their annuity savings account separate. One other thing to point out, and we're not going to go into the details, we've got another question to go to, but Indiana just changed the laws on how much, if you add your annuity savings account to your pension, how much that increases your pension. Those laws just got a little worse. And so giving more credence to, yeah, you may want to hesitate before you do that. Aaron in South Bend says that our son is off to college as a freshman this fall, and we have paid for his first semester out of the money that we've accumulated, and we should have enough pulled together to cover the second semester as well, uh, which isn't too bad, actually, considering. Uh, Beginning next year, we'll need to start borrowing to cover the expenses. What suggestions do you have for getting loans lined up at that time? You know, if if you're already anticipating that you're going to be borrowing in the later years of college, but you just spent all the money that you built up for college, uh, it it might not be too late to go back and rethink borrowing for this year. Uh, You know, there are different types of student loans out there available to the student or to the parent. Um, The the one that I would encourage you to to look at, Aaron, is the, uh, the subsidized loans that are available. You're only allowed to borrow so much each year, and it is an increasing amount. But if you let a year go by where you never go get those subsidized loans, which, by the way, that means that the government is paying the interest for the student while they're in school. So, in other words, it's an interest-free loan for a four-year period of time. When you get out of school, that's when you start paying interest and it begins accruing for you. So, um, you know, if in the freshman year you didn't really need to borrow, you may want to choose to borrow if some of these subsidized loans are available to you. Obviously, we don't know enough about uh, this person's financial life to know if they qualify, but uh, that would be something that I would give some, some attention to. 
And I would look at another option, Aaron. If you've spent $5,000 on tuition this fall, or you have $5,000 of qualified education expenses, one of the things that you might want to do is to fund a 529 plan. Because you can put $5,000 in that plan and pull it out in the same year, and you get your $1,000 credit. For so, Indiana residents. For Indiana residents. He's from yeah, South he's Bend. Yeah, he's South Bend. That's right. Okay. Sarah in Mishawak asks, as uh, my husband and I are both age 55, we're still working. At what age do you think we should start looking into long-term care insurance? Oh, my goodness. I get this question all the time. I love this question because there's just a lot of issues there. However, it is extremely depressing because more and more people, and now it seems like every family has a personal story about someone going into the nursing home or needing some care. And so everyone's had some experience with this so far. So it's exciting financial planning question, although very traumatic and, and discouraging uh, event. Uh, so I've been doing this, I've been in this business for almost 15 years and the pendulum has really swung here. When I first got in the business, you know, the sooner you buy long-term care insurance, it means you're paying on it earlier. So what's the break-even point? And at that time, oh, 62, buy it before 65. The prices have gone up so significantly. And this type of risk as baby boomers have gotten older and more and more people are unfortunately using long-term care facilities, uh, the costs have just gotten so high that if you haven't made a decision before 60 on whether you're going to protect and transfer this risk by buying the insurance or not, it's just too expensive for most people. So I, we're starting the conversation in the, in people's mid-50s. So, so Sarah, at age 55, now. You need to be talking to someone about this risk now. Yes. And, and really, when should I buy insurance? It's, it's the day before I need it. Yeah. So I, it really depends, Sarah, what is your health? If you're married, what's your husband's health? I look at this and say this... When you look at uh, risk and risk management, do I live with the risk that a good portion of what I've spent my whole life accumulating uh, would go to a nursing home? There, the way to transfer that risk uh, with using dollars would be long-term care insurance. And the, typically, the sooner people look at it, the healthier they are, and so the, the better deal they can get on it. If you live in the state of Indiana... You definitely want to look at a partnership policy. Indiana has a fabulous deal as it relates to long-term care. So that's something that you definitely want to talk to your insurance professional about because you can really, really do some amazing planning for this event and build it out and say, hey, of all the people that I want to get my money when I'm done with it, when I move on and I'm no longer here on this earth, the federal government probably isn't one of them. The state of Indiana isn't one of them. And certainly a nursing home typically isn't one of them. And, and we, see the, we see the emotional impacts on, uh, on folks that are in a nursing home saying, I wanted this money to go to my grandkids. I wanted it to go to my kids. And it just and it can't without proper planning. So this is where we encourage folks to look and say, is, is it right to get long-term care insurance in place? If long-term care insurance isn't the answer, there are other things that you can do to plan and protect your estate from these things. The next question we have, guys, is Kathy in Middlebury. My husband and I have been retired for two years. We're thinking about buying a Class A motor home to see the country before we're too old to travel much. Should we borrow money for the purchase or cash in some of our retirement investments to buy the RV? 
I assume this comes up semi-frequently with you guys. It does, and it might not always be a motor home that they're wanting to buy. It could be a place in Florida or, you know, a lake cottage somewhere or something like that. But there's this mentality that if I have a big pool of dollars in my retirement nest egg and I want to, you know, go buy this huge asset, this, uh, this house or this motor home, I may as well just go cash that stuff in rather than borrow money in retirement. There's a there's the feeling that borrowing in retirement would be a major loss or a failure of some kind. In reality, if we're talking retirement investments here, there's a good chance, I'm going to have to read between the lines a little bit, but if this is money in a retirement plan where if uh, a distribution or pulling money out of that account would be taxable, you may have to pull some huge dollars out to pay for that, uh, well, it's a class A motorhome. So... Uh, you know, those, those don't come cheap. That alone, you know, that big ticket item could be enough to start throwing them into higher tax brackets versus if they had borrowed money to, to make the purchase and pay it back over a series of, you know, a couple years, maybe you're spreading the tax pain out, uh, as, as opposed to just taking one huge lump sum and, uh, getting clobbered with taxes. Possibly higher tax rate, higher Medicare premium higher That's capital big, gains rate. Yeah. There's a lot of things to consider here. So principally, I don't like going into debt. It may make sense for you in this situation though. All right. So we mentioned earlier today, guys, uh, it's all the time we have for questions today. We got through most of them. We did pretty good today. Uh, but we mentioned that next week, we're going to talk about a budget because it came up today. And I think that's always a, a big concern for people or they set a budget, they don't follow the budget or they think they don't have money for, for a budget, that sort of thing. So next week, we're going to do an entire show about budgeting and how to do it right. We want to give a homework assignment, right? We want to go ahead and have everybody save their receipts from now until next week. And that way they will have some paper with numbers on it to be able to kind of go over and follow along with us and and figure out how to maybe do their own budget themselves with some of the advice you guys are going to give next week. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you have any financial planning questions, please go to wisemoneyradio.com. And you've been listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We will uh, see you next week. Remember, we're going to be talking about budgeting next week. So save your receipts because you're going to want to hear what the guys at Core and Financial Group have to say. For Kevin, Mike, Josh, I'm Casey. I want to thank you for listening to Wise Money right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Now you can ask your financial planning question by calling us at 574-222-2000 and leave a voicemail. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.